All right, we have been spending uh, the last week celebrating Christmas. I'm sure everybody is uh, full and heavier because of it, right? Uh, enjoyed some good food, enjoyed time with family, a variety of different traditions and activities that get us through this week. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a fun time and a, a time to celebrate. Uh, for our family, we, we spend Christmas morning, we, we get the kids together, and we read through the Christmas story, and uh, we serve brownies for breakfast. That, that's like a special treat, as if Christmas lunch didn't have enough other stuff going for it. Uh, but we have brownies for breakfast, and uh, we light a candle and sing a happy birthday Jesus and let the kids blow out the candle. Uh, Hope was the first one to the candle. She, she got it blown out before anybody else can get to it. Um, that might explain why most of us have colds now, but... Um, but it's, it's a fun time to, to, to remember the story of Jesus, right? We're, we're familiar with the story. We've been spending each week through December talking through the story. And, and we, we know about the shepherds, and we know about the angels, and we, we know about the wise men from the east. We, we tell the story of Joseph and, and Mary and the, the little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay, right? And so we have our songs, and we have our picture books, and we have our stories. These are the characters that we know. These are the characters that we're, we're familiar with. And we can recite the story, and it, it leaves us feeling good. It's, it's, it's the warm, fuzzy feeling of this, of this birth story. It's a picture of calmness. It's, it's a picture of, of hope and peace and joy and love. It's quiet. It's comforting. It's calming. We like to share this story. But when we dig deeper into the story, when we look into what is really going on, more than a Christmas morning reading, more than a children's Christmas pageant at preschool uh, with the, the little angels and, and their costumes, more than any of, of that, we have more going on than, than the comfort and the sweetness of this birth story, right? There's a lot more going on underneath the surface. You scratch, you scratch the surface and, and we uncover greed and passion and, and danger and death and this struggle between empire and subversion and, and power and survival. There's a lot going on in this story, more than our Christmas holiday might lead us to believe. And so how is it that Christmas really works? What's really going on underneath the surface? If, if you go to the internet and, and look, for, look and ask questions about Christmas, you'll find all sorts of answers, all sorts of debate, I'm sure. Questions like, why do people give each other presents on Christmas Day? And questions like, is December 25th really the day of G that Jesus was born? There's questions about mistletoe. What is that all about? And what does that have to do with the Christmas story? Nothing. 12 days of Christmas. Why is it 12 days? Because we start, like some of us start in July, but, but many of us will start after Thanksgiving. So either way, it's more than 12 days, right? So how do we have only 12 days of Christmas? There should be more. So there's these questions that we have about Christmas, and we could go and find those answers if you're really interested but that's not what we're, the point is right now, not what we're talking about. The point is a, a cultural and religious tradition like Christmas takes on years and centuries of formation to get to what we have today, to become this event of Christmas, this season of Christmas, the holidays. 
and there is, is a global consciousness that is, is developed over time that creates what we have. And so Christmas works, and it works through the traditions and the legends and the customs that have evolved over time. These things come together to give us Christmas. It tells us the, the right way to, to put on Christmas, to put on this event, to, to do it right. And of course, all of us, if you've, if you've gotten married, you know that there are definitely different traditions, right, that are brought together. Because eating brownies and singing Happy Birthday Jesus is just weird. But that's what I married, right? And so now we have this new tradition, right? And it's a great tradition. I love it because my family never even acknowledged Jesus at Christmas time. Many of us come from a heritage like that, right? Where we don't talk about the nativity on Christmas. But how does it really work? How does Christmas really work? What are the lasting effects of Christmas? And, and how does that impact us and change us and transform us? Is it simply a cultural holiday that, that now that that is gone, we're on to the next holiday and on to the next thing? Have we all forgotten Christmas already? Have we already moved on from the birth of Jesus into a new year, into whatever your new year tradition is, whatever activities you're going into? Time for our New Year's resolutions. Christmas is over. Moving on. When we look at the story of Christmas, there was actually a lot of risk that Christmas would never even happen. This birth of a baby that could have easily not happened, given all the circumstances around the story, that, that if we dig beneath the peaceful picture of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, we find surprises, we, especially when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, right? When we look at Matthew's telling of the story of Jesus' birth, there is danger and death that runs through all of it. It is much more of a suspense story than it is a peaceful, peaceful birth narrative. Christmas really should have never happened because of all the risk that was involved. So if we look at Matthew's account, we look at Matthew chapter 1 of Jesus' birth, the focus is really not on Jesus and the, and the birth of Jesus. A lot of the focus is on Joseph and his visions and the fulfillment of prophecies about the coming Messiah. When you look at Matthew chapter 1, all that is said about Jesus being born is actually just one little sentence that says he was born. And that's the story right? And there's all this other stuff before and after he was born that paints this bigger picture of what's going on. So in Matthew chapter 2, we have these wise men that come to visit the Messiah. They're coming sometime after he was born, and they first come to Jerusalem, and they encounter King Herod there. And when they encounter King Herod, they, they tell of, of what they're looking for. They, they've seen this star. They, they know that the Messiah has been born, and they're going to see the Messiah. And Herod is very interested in this, right? Herod, too, wants to know that the Messiah has been born because he wants to go and worship him, which means kill him. And so Herod comes up with the scheme and says, okay, you go find him, and then you come back and report to me where he's at so I can go worship him too. Because Herod is 
threatened by a different king coming. That Herod has this need for control and this need for power and this need for position, and he's threatened. And he has to do something about this threat. And so here, this baby is born. He wants to know where this child is at so he can go take care of his threat. And that's where we pick up our story today in Matthew chapter 1. Let's open to Matthew chapter 1, verse, or Matthew chapter 2, sorry. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. When they had gone, they, these wise men, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is yet another vision that Joseph has. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because there are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. So there's a lot going on here. This encounter with Herod, this conflict that's going on, this fleeing into another place. There's a lot in the story that could have prevented Christmas from ever happening situations and, and environments here where Jesus could have never been born. For example, you don't take a nine-month pregnant wife on a 120-mile road trip on a donkey, right? And so just that in itself is, is risky. And then you didn't make arrangements for shelter when you get there. And so you get there and there is no shelter for your pregnant wife. And then the baby is born in a barn, with animals, like not the most sanitary birthing center, right? And so infant mortality would have been incredibly high at that time, especially in these circumstances, being born in a barn, being born in this place with animals. And so all this risk is at play. Even, even for Mary to deliver this child, 
to have this baby is a risk, is a threat, is a danger in this. And then you have the wise men who come along and they hit a roadblock as they attempt to gain access to Jesus and they have this encounter with Herod here. And Herod is at work to eliminate the threat of Jesus. And so not only do you have all of the the natural risks involved in, in childbirth, but now you have a king that's after you as well. This threat from a ruler who wants to eliminate Jesus. And then you have this journey to Egypt where you have to to live in a different place. That that Joseph was forced to, to flee his homeland to protect his family. They had to go to Egypt to hide out as refugees until the threats back home are gone. This is Jesus's birth story. Not warm and cozy, asleep in the hay, but on the run, threatened, in danger. And Joseph and Mary desperately trying to protect this child and keep him safe. And so Christmas almost didn't happen. There was risk involved. And when we think about Christmas not happening, we think about our own experience with the birth of Jesus. And often for us, Christmas doesn't really come either. Of course, we go through the motions. We have the traditions, the presents and the Christmas cards and the shopping and the food and the parties and on and on. We we have all of this, but have we really had Christmas? That's not Christmas. That's just the holidays. Those are the celebrations. Those are the traditions. Those are the cultural things that have been pieced together over time for us to experience this. But like the wise men, we have to take a detour around the dangers, take a detour around the distractions to gain access to Jesus. We're challenged to find Jesus. And so if we're going to have access to Jesus, we've got to go another way than than just holidays. The wise men protected Jesus by, by evading the expectations of Herod. And we should follow the same path. We can't follow the expectations of the world around us. Our access to Jesus may require eliminating some of the cultural expectations, not only about Christmas, but about our life in general our faith in general, that for us to really access Jesus, the cultural expectations cannot define our faith. The fact is we don't need to to obsess about holiday decorations. We don't need to insist that our house is full and stuffed with green holly branches and, and poinsettias and all the different things that come with Christmas. Even if we were to scale back the things that we do and the expectations that we have, if we were to downsize the things that, that, that we do for Christmas, we're still going to face some dangers. We're still going to face some risks if we're going to make it through the season. If Christmas is to work, we're going to experience some danger. We're going to experience some risk. Life has a way of shattering 
the serenity of Christmas. Life has a way of flipping upside down into chaos, the peace. We think about joy. We think about peace. We think about hope. We think about love as we've gone through each week of Advent and how quickly will life flip that upside down for us. How long after Christmas dinner did you not experience peace or not experience joy or maybe didn't experience love or lost all hope? How quickly will it take that away from us? So how does Christmas really work? It works when we remember that Christmas now, just as it was then, is a dangerous business. This doesn't show up in the Hallmark marketing, right? Christmas is dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous because, one, it, it evokes dreams and hopes. It, it brings this, this vision for the future. There's, there's a scene in the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, where Andy says to his best friend, hope is a dangerous thing. The reality is that we're in here, they're in prison, if you haven't seen the movie, they're in, we're in here, and hope is out there. Hope is somewhere distant. And so Christmas is not easy, and, and in fact it can be costly because it demands that we put our hopes, that we put our dreams somewhere else than what the culture is telling us to put our hopes and dreams in. It calls us to, to think about the about what we aspire to and what we dream of. And that's not easy. But, but if we do it, then Christmas works. The coming of Christ changes our dreams, changes our hopes. So Christmas will work whenever we tear down the false gods of, of materialism, when we tear down our idolatry of ambition, when, when the demons of self-importance are set aside, and, and we set up the Christ child as the promise and the priority of our lives. When, when Christ is at the center of our daily living, not just on the fringes of a holiday, but when Christ is at the center of our daily living, then the other demons will fade away. And so we need to realign our dreams, realign our hopes to be Christ-centered dreams and hopes. Not cultural dreams and hopes, not the American dream, but the Christian dream and hope for a future. And so when we, when we honor Christ and not the culture of Christmas as, as it were, then Christmas, ironically, really works. Because the demons no longer have control over us. Our hopes and our dreams are focused on Christ. The second thing that is dangerous, Christmas is dangerous because it is subversive. Christmas is subversive. The story, especially here in Matthew, is of God entering the world as a baby. All the risks and dangers associated with that. Fragile and weak and humble and poor. And those threatened most by Christmas are those in power and control. Herod plays a key role in this story in Matthew. His greed 
and passion and hunger for power drives the Holy Family into exile. The coming of Christ and his life and ministry, as well as the the ministry of his early followers, were about a constant rub with political powers and the religiously dominant, the, the political establishment, the political establishment, and the dominant religious establishment were the very things that Jesus was disrupting. And so Jesus came to inaugurate the reign and rule of God, a kingdom unlike any earthly kingdom, and a kingdom that demands allegiance to God's kingdom over any earthly kingdom. Christmas is dangerous because it's subversive. It's resisting the powerful, resisting the wealthy, resisting those that are in control. And finally, Christmas is dangerous because it takes us to foreign lands. The story today in Matthew tells us about the flight of the Holy Family into Egypt. And and Jesus often leads us into unknown territories, right? He leads us to places that we didn't expect to go. He leads us in places that will be risky. He leads us into places that will bring us safety. But he takes us into territory that is not familiar. Jesus will lead us into unknown territory. We will find ourselves in uncharted waters. But that's what Christmas is about. Letting Jesus take our hands, letting Jesus lead us along our journey, taking us to unexpected places. Tony Campolo tells the story of of another minister who told the story. This is how minister stories work, right? So a minister told the story about a minister who tells about a minister. He tells the story about this minister who had a deacon at his church that wasn't really um, deaconing very well, right? And so this deacon had the title of deacon, but wasn't really doing what he was supposed to be doing as a deacon. And so one day this minister says to the, the deacon, I have a group of youth who are going to the nursing home once a month to lead a worship service. Would you drive them to the nursing home? Let's, get, let's give this guy a job. Just drive them to the nursing home. And so the deacon agrees. And the first Sunday the deacon was at, at the nursing home, he was in the back with his arms folded, just watching the youth do their thing. When all of a sudden someone next to him is, is tugging at his arm, and he looks down, and there's this old man there who is tugging at his arm, who's sitting in a wheelchair, and he took hold of the old man's hands, and the old man just sat there and held his hand through the whole service. The next month, it was repeated. The tugging on the arm, the holding of the hand through the service, month after month after month. And then one month, the old man wasn't there anymore. The, the deacon inquired and asked, where is the man? And someone told him he's down the hall, right-hand side, third door. He's dying. He's unconscious. But if you want to go down and pray over him, he'll, that will be okay. And so the deacon goes down and goes into the room where the tubes and wires are hanging. 
And the deacon takes the man's hand and prays over the man. And as soon as he finished the prayer, the old man squeezes his hands. And the deacon knew that he had been heard. And so he was so moved by this that the tears begin to come down his cheeks. And he stumbles out of the room and bumps into a woman. And she says, he's been waiting for you. He's been waiting for you. He said that he didn't want to die until he had the chance to hold the hand of Jesus. One more time. And the deacon was amazed. He said, what do you mean? Well, my father would say that once a month, Jesus came to this place, and he would take my hand, and he would hold my hands for the whole hour. I don't want to die until I have the chance to hold the hand of Jesus one more time. And so Christmas works when we let Jesus take us into unfamiliar places, into, ter- into territory that may be uncomfortable or unfamiliar, even a place like a nursing home or, or a neighbor's home or into something even more bizarre. Maybe something like an attitude adjustment, a generous spirit, a helping hand, whatever that territory is, both internally or externally. The point is that whenever and wherever we go, we are the hand of Jesus to others. And that's when Christmas happens. And so we face the dangers of Christmas. We face the dangers that don't end on December 25th, but wait for us in 2020. These dangers that are waiting for us, a year where we will need to align our dreams and hopes with Christ, a year where we will need to resist the cultural and political and religious expectations that are forced upon us, a year where we will need to go into unfamiliar territory. These are the dangers that we go into in 2020. And it is in this place, in these dangers, where the Christ, the newborn King, is here and present. Let's be standing together. I don't know what this next year has in store for you. I'm sure we all have expectations of what is in store for us in this next year. And some of those expectations will be met. Some of those will just be disappointments. Some of those will be hurt. Some of those will be victories. There's a lot ahead of us in this next year. And there's dangers waiting for us, which sounds like this ominous, risky, challenging thing, right? Like, oh, this is is quite the downer of a New Year's sermon, right? There's this danger that's waiting. But with danger comes suspense, excitement. Every good movie, every good story needs a little bit of danger worked into it, right? And so we go into this year with expectation that Christ is here. 
And that's what we declare, not just on the 25th of December, but every day. We celebrate that and we rest in that. We embrace that and live that out. And when we do that, we can, we can confront the dangers that are ahead of us with boldness, with confidence. We're going to spend some time in communion together. If this is your first time here, we have tables prepared along the side of the room, tables that, that, that have just simple crackers and juice at them. And this is our time of communion where we take this cracker and we take this juice to, to remember the birth of Jesus, to remember the life and ministry of Jesus, to remember his death and his resurrection, that God is with us through Jesus. And so we celebrate that at the tables together. This is also a time for us to pray together, for us to encourage one another. And so if you uh, need prayer, seek prayer out. Uh, if you want to pray for somebody, you know somebody who is in need of encouragement, go to that person and pray over that person. This is a time for us to, to move around the room and be together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this message of hope, even hidden within the story of a bloodthirsty king, we see a story of hope. That you are with us, even in the most dangerous of situations. God, would you bless us, and encourage us, and challenge us, strengthen us through this time in the Word. It's in your son's name we pray.